So it's been quite a week in crypto, and I thought it'd be a good chance to jump on here and talk about everything that's happened. I'm here today with Ryan Selkis. As many of you know, he's the co-founder and CEO of Masari, a true thought leader in the ecosystem. We've got a few topics we're going to chat about, and then we'll jump into some of your questions from the audience. So start thinking about any questions that you might have. And as we get a little bit later here, we'll have you post them in the chat. So Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thank you, sir. It's been a week. It's been a week. Um, I saw you earlier and you were wearing a tie. I was wearing a tie. Why are so many people in crypto wearing ties right now? Well, look, it was a damaging week, I think, for the industry and our reputation. And it comes at a pivotal moment in policy circles when we were making some pretty good headway in terms of uh, a couple of different uh, really important bills that uh, were under consideration. The, the CCPA in particular, which you know, talks quite a bit about exchange oversight and, and kind of consumer protections in, in the markets. And um, sure, you know, we and, and I know, you know, your team and many others have been spending a lot of time down here kind of investing in, in relationships with policymakers, staff, regulators, trying to get them educated about the industry. Um, that's been true for the last nine years, really, um, that I've been in. And I know same for you, um, but it's really kicked into high gear this year. And um, and it seemed like there was a lot of momentum for some of these you know, uh, really important pieces of legislation. And, and, and now we've gone from having, a, I think, a number of really constructive conversations to, to now just kind of measuring and managing the fallout of last week and, um, and making sure that we can, you know, kind of pick up the pieces, tell the right story and um, uh, build towards you know, the future and fix some of these problems that, that, you know, led to some of the issues we saw last week. But, um, you know, disappointing, but, you know, you and I have, uh, have lived through multiple depressions, right? And, you know, <laughs> I know how many people on the call have lived through an actual recession in eight and, uh, and multiple crypto depressions and, and kind of lived to tell the tale. But, you got at least two of them, and uh, and I think I speak for myself, but I think you're in the same same boat as me, Brian. Where I expect to be here for for a little bit yet, so uh, it's uh, it's definitely a setback. But uh, I don't think the fundamental tenure thesis has changed for for us for the industry, and it's just on people to step up and and fix some of these issues that uh, that arose out of the wreckage of last week. Absolutely, yeah. Crypto is not going anywhere. We're going to keep building. We've been through lots of crypto cycles, but you know, when I've talked to the media and everything, they're they're really most interested in the story right now of. SBF and FTX. And I don't know, I'm almost at a place, I don't, I'm not sure if you are too, where I just kind of want to turn the page and let's not mention his name at this point going forward. I think that the other... The you other just, you topics, just broke your own rule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the other topics, the, the implications of this and how, how we move forward are almost more interesting. But just, just, to give, you know, just to give you a chance, is there anything you want to say about what actually happened with FTX or um, before we move on to the broader topics? Or let's just get those out of the way. And, uh, I, I have full faith that you know, the various law enforcement agencies have ample evidence and and are going to be able to do their jobs constructively and and you know, we'll see we'll see a resolution on that front but you know the the, the justice um system you know takes, takes uh, some time and so uh, i think you know that's that's really not any of our concern i think is as folks that are kind of leading in the industry right now um it's how do we move forward how do we highlight the, the folks that are building working responsibly and in good faith and, and really innovating at the bleeding edge of what's going to be an important part of the economy um, and, uh, and, you know, we just, we move on, uh, as long as, you know, people are, are able to kind of sober up and keep that in mind. Um, like I said, the structural thesis doesn't really change, but I think what does change are the, you know, kind of the days of, um, uh, lack of regulatory certainty and, and kind of policy guidance. Um, I do think that there's more urgency to, to kind of get, um, intermediary regulations really, really clarified. Um, and that's going to be, I think, a net positive for, you know, for, for someone like Coinbase, for, for, you know, all of your investors and, and folks that are interacting with the services for the other kind of credible services in the U.S. And, and ultimately, it'll hopefully re some activity that, um, 
you know, frankly, if, if that had already been the case, we wouldn't be running into the problems that are, are largely the result of, you know, mouth and international entities with like jurisdiction. I think you're right. The, the really the most interesting thing right now in crypto, the whole ballgame really is about where's regulation going to go from here? And there is this knee jerk reaction that we're seeing where, you know, as predicted, some people would come out and say, oh, we've got to have tougher and tougher regulation. The lack of regulatory clarity, I think, in the major markets actually pushed a lot of this stuff offshore into these these jurisdictions, which which didn't help. Um, and I think it may be worth talking about. I know you've been a big advocate behind the scenes of getting that regulatory clarity here in the U.S. And there's, there's some bright spots, right? You know, this this Congress, we've seen 20 new members in the House and the Senate in the U.S. who are pro-crypto. We've seen strong bipartisan support um, for the bills that have been gone, going through there, like the DCCPA, although, you know, it'd be cool to hear, it'd be great to hear your, your, your thoughts on its chances now or what the next evolution of that will be. And, um, you know, stablecoin regulation, centralized custodians and exchanges, these things all, everybody can pretty much agree these should be regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, just get, let's get the bread and butter, you know, the basic stuff there. Um, and then we can go figure out, you know, DeFi and all that stuff maybe another time and preserve the innovation potential of it for a while because the decentralized to offer a way to get to an even better outcome here over time. So, how do we go forward on the regulatory front? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's one interesting little caveat here. You know, we're talking about DeFi and, and personal wallets and, and some of the things that I think are really core to, you know, folks that have been in crypto for a while, the ability to self-custody, the ability to interact with these protocols without permission. So a lot of this kind of comes down to, to custody and trust. And um, if you're going to have uh, these custodial models, um, and I think they are important and, and we're going to need them um, to be kind of overseen and, and well-regulated in order to hit a next you know, certain level of adoption. But um, I do think that you need to have um, custody and exchange uh, oversight and some clarity as to who the regulator of record is. Number, um, number two, just some clear guidance around not only stable coins and their reserves, but how they're expected to interoperate with the regulated financial system. Um, and then the third, you know, I call this the messy middle, it's, it's how do you treat these assets, right? Like DCCPA was not necessarily going to define what was a commodity versus a currency versus a security, right? Um, but um, that's gonna be a work in progress. And, and there are certain things that I think we as an industry can do to you know, promote transparency, to, to you know, create some disclosure standards similar to what Commissioner Peirce at the SEC had actually um, advocated for with the safe harbor proposal that she put forth. And um, I think that kind of strikes the right balance between let's protect people from information asymmetries and, and kind of bad investments without kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and essentially crippling innovation or, or teams' ability to, to get projects off the ground from zero to one. And it's one of the reasons you think we need you know, really thoughtful policymakers to, to get the legislation right and, and also you know, kind of create regulatory parameters at the point that these things are actually material and mainstream, right? Exchanges are mainstream. Stable coins are now mainstream. DeFi is two years old. NFTs are two years old, right? Some of these other assets and emerging ecosystems haven't even been launched yet. So getting to a point where um, we have the things that are obvious to regulate and that would actually, you know, protect investors, right? And, and you know, kind of uphold the spirit of existing kind of consumer protection and kind of securities and, and, and you know, other markets-based regulation. I think it's a very obvious starting point. And I still think that's on the table, um, but we just need to kind of wait and see, you know, with re respect to DCCPA, um, you know, is it, is it the right time to try to slam this through in the next few weeks during a lame duck con Congress, or should we kind of investigate what happened, measure twice, cut once, and then get this policy right kind of early on in the new year with the new Congress? And I think it's the latter. Yeah, I think I agree. There's an opportunity to come together early next year and, and start again. And I know there's a bunch of people in Congress that we've spoken to who are really excited to do that. And I think you're right. My hope is that we can, as an industry and policymakers, regulators, they can use this moment as an opportunity to say, all right, hey, we need to come and, and create this regulatory clarity with, with some sense of urgency 
while preserving the innovation potential of self-custodial wallets and DeFi and all these things, let's just go regulate decentralized exchanges and custodians. And that's where many of these issues have been happening so far. And if we don't get it regulated, you know, here in the US and other major markets, UK, et cetera, this stuff is going to go offshore and customers are going to be harmed and investors are going to be harmed um, and the local businesses are going to be harmed too. So hopefully we can use it as an opportunity to go, to go do that. Yeah. And, and one, one other thing I'll add, Brian, and I know there was a question about this that we were going to get to in a minute, but I mean, you know, the, the one thing that the SEC has done is uh, under there has been to reject spot ETFs um, that I think are healthy for the institutional market. I've, I've written about it before, but the punchline is that GBTC has been a toxic piece of collateral that helped lead to thrift capital undoing, BlockFi's undoing, and then in turn, Genesis's uh, problems in Q2. And now it looks like Genesis again today and potentially FTX's problems because they bailed out a bunch of these different entities. And um, one of the first dominoes was this toxic bit of collateral, collateral GBTC. And I think that's what we all want to solve for, people that have been in the industry and the policymakers that have been informed by this um, and given more than just a curry view of the industry. I think you know there are many folks in DC, both sides of the aisle that would like to see um, some clarity as to truly how do we define crypto securities, how do we define crypto commodities, and, and kind of how do we how do we manage this kind of fluid middle? I do think that you know you you and your team and, and, and me and my team and, and many others have, have met a ton of folks down in DC at the regulators, at the congressional and, and Senate staffs, and you know we know a lot of folks, most folks are working with you know you know uh, under kind of good faith um, assumptions and, and trying to get this right, and it's not easy tech to come up the learning curve on because it's changing like every year, right? It's, I've been doing this for a decade. It takes me a month to just do a recap of the industry every year, as you know. So um, I, I think we need to acknowledge that, but we also need to make sure that the folks that have been vocal and negative and ultimately partly responsible for some of these breakdowns aren't the ones that are rewarded with more authority in the process. This really shouldn't be antagonistic or you know, come in and talk to us and the answer is no, right? So uh, it, it's, it's not innovation friendly. It's not you know, consumer friendly because all that it's done, and it's, this is provably so, is push a lot of this activity into more opaque markets and still hurt, you know, American investors in the process. So, um, you know, I, I think I think everybody is, is cautiously optimistic, but, you know, we also need um, leadership uh, at, at some of the regulators to actually show good faith and, and uphold their, their agency's mandates. Right. I agree. I, I am totally fine with tough rules, tough regulation, as long as it's clear. And that's the problem is right now, there aren't clear rules. And so everyone is everyone in the space is basically paying insane legal legal bills to get this advice. Some of that legal advice is telling them asset issuers and startups to go offshore. Um, literally, I mean, this is what the, the, the most expensive white shoe law firms are sometimes telling these asset issuers and startups is like, well, you wouldn't don't make sure you don't do anything in the US list on a US exchange because, you know, it's just unclear. And so that chilling effect really does have a major impact um, for the businesses trying to build here, trying to follow the rules. And then you know, for the customers, the American investors who end up going to these overseas products. So anyway, I think I think we've covered that one. Let's um, one or two more questions. And then I'm going to let's anybody who has a thought, please, you know, post it here as a tweet. Um, our team's going to be reading it. We'll we'll uh, jump in and answer some of the, the audience Q&A here as well. But I mean, Ryan, what, what else are you noticing? Uh, are institutional investors, are you hearing anything there about, um, you know, their willingness to onboard to the space or waiting for the bottom of the market? You know, is um, what do you think we can do as an industry to sort of prevent any future bad actors coming into this space too. Anything else you want to touch on there? Well, I, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of work done the next couple of months on, on trying to get thoughtful policy enacted. Uh, just, to, just to be clear, I mean, policy is inevitable, right? You can have two types of policy. One, you can have regulation by enforcement in another couple of years of uncertainty and, and litigation with um, some of the overreaching regulators. 
or you can have balanced legislation that, that covers some of these low-hanging fruit issues. And obviously, we're all hoping for the, the latter. Um, but you know, beyond any particular piece of legislation, I think the industry just needs to get better standards. Um, and you know, frankly, I mean, we've been talking about this in Masari for five years, right? In, in terms of transparency standards for asset issuers, but I think that extends further to exchanges, custodians, lenders, right? Um, something like not just proof of reserves, but proof of reserves and liabilities. Um, and I know a couple of really smart people that are about to come out with um, with, with some thoughts on how to do you know, proof of net assets, which would include liabilities and not just assets. Um, and I think you know the fact that we can do some of these things on on chain is interesting and necessary um, in order to gain trust. So that's why I brought up the ledger example at, at the onset, right? The mm-hmm. the, um, the ability to um, give people or give people kind of provable access to information that kind of shows the the, the balance sheet and financial condition of someone that they're trusting um, as a custodian. I think is really important. So you either need control or you need like radical information transparency. And I think part of that, you know, kind of information uh, transparency will be guided by, you know, oversight and, and, and regulation and some, some good policy. But, you know, it honestly, it's going to be tough, I think, to move forward and, and have true productive institutional conversations and kind of open up that side of the market until we solve some of these trust issues. Because, you know, last week I had a, a huge setback, setback in trust. You know, you had one person that was very active on the investing side, on the policy side, and on the crypto infrastructure side with the exchange um, and made a lot of people look silly in Washington, D.C. And that is one thing that doesn't go over well, um, is to you know, make people that have spent time and energy trying to engage and get smart on this um, and come up with a thoughtful fra- framework, you know, basically make them um, look bad because, uh, they were, you know, among, among the folks that were hoodwinked. Um, and so I think you know, can't underestimate the importance of, of standard setting and also making sure that like other leaders in the industry, not just the exchanges, but like other other leaders in the industry are spending much more time down here educating folks on the technology, the use cases, the potential, and ultimately the impact um, on the economy and, and potentially on, on individual users. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in D.C. right now for the Blockchain Association Summit. Yeah, there's a really good event coming up in a little while with a, a ton of legislative aides and, and legislative you know, directors basically showcasing um, some, of the, some of the applications that have been built and, and some of the kind of opportunities that exist in the market, um, just like a little bit of a show and tell segment. Um, and I think things like that are going to have to be a priority for, for anyone that's you know, kind of leading uh, their companies. And, and I think the market through the other side of this. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm really excited about... Um... Combination of things going forward, which is okay, great. You know, we can have we can have sort of using TradFi best in practice stuff. Okay, that that's that's great. And you know, Coinbase is a public company, so we have audited financials from a big four firm. That's a that's a great start. But how do we actually use the native tools in crypto to get even more and more surety on this stuff over time? And we've seen the evolution of this start to happen with the proof of assets. But then, of course, if you have the assets without the liabilities, it, it's not really that useful. We've seen people come up with really clever schemes around. Um, getting the liabilities side as well baked in there with uh, Merkle trees and whatnot. There's other challenges with that we've seen where people, you know, in theory, you could have kind of a negative balance baked into the Merkle tree, sort of cancel something out that's not supposed to be there. So maybe you need to use a third party to do it. Um, I, I basically think, um, you know, I know, I know Vitalik and Balaji are actually working on um, a couple of different uh, papers or posts right now about how this, this concept of on-chain accounting could really evolve over time. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, using self-custodial wallets where just everything's on-chain, um, you know, using DeFi smart contracts where um, everything's auditable in the actual code. These are really powerful tools. And eventually you'll be able to, you know, there's going to be a, I don't know, TurboTax for on-chain um, accounting or, you know, the, I don't know what you call it, like the Deloitte of um, 
or whatever, one of the big accounting firms will have sort of, there'll be this probably a new startup that's just based around on-chain accounting based on crypt cryptographic signatures, which would be a huge step mm -hmm. in the right direction. So yeah, hopefully all these things um, are going to continue to be researched. Um, and that's a really cool development. Um, okay, so Ryan, let's go to, to the listeners here. And if people have other questions, um, you know, use the tool here in Spaces, Twitter Spaces, to tweet out your question. We'll try to get through a handful of them. Let's see, establishing mainstream, this is from a uh, user... Brand MTO930. Establishing mainstream trust in this space will be extremely difficult from here on out and nearly impossible short term. What is Coinbase's plan to continue building trust from here, um, from where we're at now? And then I'll, you know, I'll answer and then maybe Ryan, you can jump in as well about how you think we can do it more broadly, because obviously Coinbase is just one piece of this. Um, so how can we establish trust? I mean, look, the first thing is um, I've been trying to get out there and really just you know, you'd be surprised people who are not really in the space. I mean, they have a lot going on, right? This is something they only think about with a small percentage of their time might look at FTX and think, hey, well, that's that's representative of the whole industry, right? And so it sounds simple, but I think it's worth repeating. We just got to get out there in the industry and, and let people know that, no, there's a lot of legitimate actors and companies building great companies in this space. FTX is not representative. You know, occasionally the traditional financial system has things like Enron and Madoff and, and Lehman Brothers, and that is not um, causing us to, uh, you know, tear apart our uh, traditional financial system. So this is similar. So just those simple messages work. We've also been very clear with people out there that for Coinbase, um, we're just a very different you know, company than, than what FTX was. So we're registered right here in the United States. We're not in an offshore jurisdiction that has light scrutiny. Um, we have audited financial statements. You can go, you don't have to take our word for it. You know, a third party has attested that we have customer funds back one-to-one, -one, entirely segregated. Um, by the way, the, the audited the auditors who do this stuff now, they actually have gotten more sophisticated and a little bit of what they do on chain. Um, by the way, Ryan, getting a little bit of background noise, maybe you can you up the um, so for instance, you know, Deloitte in this case, when they come in and audit our cold storage reserves, they'll, they'll do what's called random sampling. So they'll say, um, okay, you claim to own, um, th these addresses and, you know, they'll, they'll randomly choose uh, some of them and ask us to, you know, prove, provably restore those and, and move them and rotate the keys. Um, and so it, it, one of the, you know, ways our cold storage is architected is actually, you know, when we bring the shards of keys together, um, we don't want to leave it there because the, the security has sort of um, is in a different state once you've done that. So we basically use those, those addresses as one-time use. And for in an audit, we'll restore them, move them, and then rotate those keys so we don't have to use them again in the future. Um, so anyway, that those sort of TradFi type audits are a really powerful and important piece of the puzzle. I think Coinbase is kind of, you know, the best in class here as a public company that we've just met an entirely different standard um, than what others have been able to do out there. And then, like I said, over time, it's, in, it's about investing more and more in these kind of um, accounting tools and seeing those mature so that they can mitigate some of the weaknesses of it, show the assets and the liabilities. Um, and I think that's an important thing that we need to look into as well. Um, yeah, Ryan, anything you want to add about how we, how we restore trust as an industry going forward? Well, you know, I, I think... Um, the, the issues around trust will dissipate with time, right? And with tools that enhance our credibility, right? So a lot of the things, Brian, that you just mentioned. Um, but, you know, we'll say, you know, the next catalyst is going to come from. In 2020, it was, you know, the stimulus and, and kind of coming out of um, COVID lockdowns with, with these trillions of dollars of, of new assets that were printed. And, and Bitcoin was kind of a leading indicator of, um, you know, the expansion of the money supply and, and, you know, how people would respond to that in terms of protecting their purchasing power. Um, you know, we just had the Ethereum merge, right? Transformational for that ecosystem in terms of de-risking uh, that blockchain long-term. A few years ago, we didn't have DeFi, NFTs, decentralized storage, you know, a, a ton of these other building blocks, DAOs, right? Um, and so with those tools and those different kind of building blocks in their infancy, it's just going to take a little bit of time 
and energy to build the application that will actually kind of cross the chasm. And, and you needed scalability on chain so that transaction fees weren't sky high. You needed some governance structures uh, in place. You needed some uh, kind of financial primitives uh, in place to, to make this all work. And, and yeah, there are a number of applications in tech that I think um, could you know, ultimately create uh, a nice virtuous cycle when it comes to adoption at some point, you know, kind of moving forward. If there's, you know, a currency failure, failure internationally, you know, there, there could be um, some kind of tailwinds for, for Bitcoin as, as a reserve asset again. Because I, I think that most discerning investors will, will look at Bitcoin, the asset and the protocol, and not necessarily a single entity that was fraudulent um, when they're making that decision about, you know, how to, how to you know, kind of invest their portfolios. So I, I guess the answer is you don't really know. And I mean, think about how negative everyone was in, in March 2020, right? You didn't know what was going to happen. It was, you know, we, we were kind of in the fog of war um, with COVID and, and people didn't know what would happen with the economy. People didn't know, you know, um, what was going to happen with the, with the virus itself. So, you know, it, it was just it was really difficult to make rational long term decisions and, and kind of think beyond the six days or six weeks in front of your face at that point. And um, and, you know, the crisis passed. So I guess the, the moral of the story is like life kind of goes on. And, and, and a lot of times these crises pass. Law is permanent, though. Right. So I think the one thing that will be back in the U.S., in Europe, in Asia, is if, you know, this single entity or you know, a handful of bad actors are able to set us back when it comes to permanent law and kind of changing the defaults in the wrong direction when it comes to you know, fostering you know, innovation around the space and guardrails. Um, so you know, that 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 might end up being a battle um, for the next six months, depending on which way the political winds blow. Most of us are cautiously optimistic. This is still a, you know, an issue that has bipartisan support. It's nonpartisan tech. And as long as cooler heads can prevail and, and we can get through the other side of what's going to be a pretty choppy um, you know, kind of policy environment, I think that we'll be just fine. Right. It's, it's probably going to be a couple of years, um, but it was probably going to be a couple of years anyway, because we're, we're, we're kind of staring you know, down the barrel of a recession next year uh, in, in the market. So, you know, it's it's always a good time to um, to be you know, kind of building and, and, and actually you know, kind of pushing the, the envelope on what is possible and where we can innovate. But. The difference between this coming cycle and what I think we just came out of is that pushing the envelope on innovation should not mean taking shortcuts, um, putting customer risk and, um, and, and doing something, you know, or, or anything that, that, you know, whiffs of fraud or, or you know, unethical behavior on the part of a, a trusted third party. So, um, you know, this too shall pass. I think, you know, I'm already kind of looking forward um, not to be uh, sanguine about, you know, the state of play. I, I do think, you know, it, it, is a, it is a setback, but, you know, We've been here for a while. We'll be here yet. And things are still in a much, much better, more secure place when it comes to human capital, financial capital, and the state of the tech than it was even four years ago. So that's a good foundation to build from, despite what happened last week. Okay. Awesome. Let's see. We've got um, another question here from uh, Peaks versus Valleys. Probably what we all want to know, and I haven't seen posted here, is Coin in Trouble. Um, Coinbase, I assume they're referring to. How will the FTX debacle affect our holdings or will they? And then are your holdings... Uh, are holding safe, basically. Um, yes, yeah, so Coin is not in trouble. We've, we're very well capitalized. We've got $5 billion of cash on the balance sheet. Uh, we're holding those assets in, in dollars, um, which so we're not having exposure to the broader crypto volatility. We didn't have any material exposure to FTX or Alameda. Um, and you can, as a public company, you can kind of go review our audited financial statements um, that, you know, we didn't create those. Um, and it's done by a trusted, uh, you know, third party, um, a reputable firm, Deloitte in this case. Um, and you can see that the customer funds are segregated. And so that's an important thing that people can go look at. There's, um, let's see, there's another question here uh, from DGen Genesis 24. 
what areas of the crypto industry show the most potential in pushing the industry forward in the midst of the FTX fallout? So they, they mentioned a few here, infrastructure, L2s, gaming, NFTs. Um, yeah, Ryan, what do you think? I mean, if usually in every crypto winter, we see the seeds of innovation planted that, that help the next run up. And curious if you have any theories about what might take that. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think the, um, like the, you know, not to get all cypherpunk, but I think the, you know, not keys, not your crypto, um, and you know, the kind of the emphasis on centralized protocols and, and, and on, you know, code over kind of trusted third parties. I, I still think that's really important, right? Um, and, and the thing that I think holds us as an industry back is the user experience around that. And, 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 and not, you know, sometimes trusted third parties are more trustworthy than trusted first parties, right? <laughs> when you're talking about complex systems. So I think that um, when it comes to infrastructure, anything that can help kind of guide and educate users in, in terms of how they can you know, kind of truly leverage uh, these technologies for, you know, for their own um, kind of in investments, for their own um, you know, kind of business use. We talk about payments a lot and how broken kind of the financial rails are um, for many people that are underbanked or, or you know, don't have the same access to financial services. I think the next few years, you know, it's about taking those narratives and those dreams from you know, the sandbox and, and kind of the narrative section. Um, and, and the pipe dream section and actually putting some of those into effect, right? We, we have to be able to tell um, stories with data, not just, you know, stories with, um, uh, with kind of aspirations. And I do think that the infrastructure that's been built um, kind of across the board um, is in such a markedly improved place versus where it was a few years ago that we should start to see some of those, you know, some of the fruits of, of that labor collectively. Um, we'll see, but, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require, you know, human ingenuity and 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 you know, i think really uh getting back to the basics in terms of what are the what are the social norms um within crypto what are what are people you know actually working towards because you know not a knock on 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 you know my trader friends and i know you know especially this big chunk of your customers but i think for a while the last year year and a half we lost a lot right it, it became about how much money could we make as fast as humanly possible how much could we farm how much could we dump what type of token economics could we, you know, incorporate in, in order to juice returns real quickly? And um, and none of that was built with sustainability in mind. Even in the most kind of optimistic scenario, I think it was, you know, viewed as a necessary evil. And I think that ship has sailed now. Um, and so the folks that will be rewarded are going to be those that are actually in the envelope, um, not on, you know, get rich quick schemes, um, but on like truly usable applications. Um, and you know, I, I remain optimistic that we're we're going to see quite a few. Um, in uh, in the next couple of years, so that that's that's what's going to move us forward. And you know whether that takes a year, two years, three years, five years. Um, I think we have a, a much sturdier foundation versus 2014 when Mt. Gox went under, or 2018 when when the market crashed and and, and Ether went down 94%. Right. Um, I think the, the the tools are there. It's just you know who's who's going to be you know brave enough to step up and and build through the cycle. Yeah, makes sense. I think. Um... You're right. I, I, some of the things that could really kick off this next <clears throat> wave of innovation in crypto, I think, from my point of view. So, again, regulatory clarity, we already talked about. There's a lot of institutional money and whatnot waiting to move in there. And then, uh, you know, I think um, scalability of the blockchains has gotten a little bit better. We've seen that with the merge, things like Lightning Network, um, other L2s. Uh, but if we can get the scalability up, I think that'll unlock a whole new set of use cases, just like moving from dial up to broadband. And then a couple areas that I'm excited about. It does feel like something's in the air right now with decentralized social uh, we've seen people getting more and more interested in that um, with with Twitter and various ways that it could evolve in the future. And there's really cool protocols out there like Farcaster and, and Lens Protocol. Um, decentralized gaming, I think, is an interesting one. Um, 
you know, what we're, what's, what's happening out there with DAOs uh, feels like that could be a big area as well. Um, you know, I think NFTs will come back. I think that that's a, that is an important long-term trend, not just for collectibles of different types of artwork, although that'll be one piece of it, but for all kinds of reasons, um, you know, proof of attendance, uh, various forms of like citizenship. Um, and even in this metaverse, you know, there's going to be all kinds, everything from your spaceship to your house, to the clothes you wear, whatever. I mean, I think every game out there, there people are going to want to have probably unique digital items that they're going to want to have. Um, and so, even even the way that people just get paid for songs and, and video content creation, all kinds of things in the NFT space, that'll come back, I believe. Okay, so let's we just have a few more minutes. Let's do um, maybe one or two more questions. Let's see if there's... Ryan, if there's one that you really like, you can jump in too. But I'm just thinking here. Um, let's see. Question for my fearless leader, Tubit Idiot. <laughs> um, can we get your updated take on um, GBTC and ETHE here? Um, assuming nothing related has an issue but yeah what, what are your thoughts on this well uh, you know i think um the grayscale you know for grayscale the responsible thing right now is to pursue reg m relief which would essentially allow them to um offer customer redemptions uh for assets that are held in trust the, the way that those trusts pay they're you know hotel california is where assets check in they don't check out and, and grayscale their strategy to date has been to you know, basically sue for peace and sue for um you know spot etf approval uh from the sec I think in light of you know what's going on with some of the related entities, and I think in light of the fact that the discounts on GBTC and, and some of the other trust assets are, are you know, into the 40% range, and given the stress in the market, um, and you know uh, given you know, the, the potential um, uh, leverage uh, that was used to kind of juice those assets under management in uh, in 2020 and um, and, and kind of early to one before uh, that premium disappeared, I, I think it is. It, it borders on reckless uh, because the the chances of a spot ETF approval for that particular product, I think, have just plummeted to about zero, approximately. Particularly given some of the counterparty that that I think is, is now known and publicly documented between some of those related entities and GBTC as, as toxic collateral for some of these entities that have gone bankrupt. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about protecting investors, um, I think the responsible thing to do, and and, and I hope uh, you know, Barry Silbert will show some leadership here, is is to at least offer investors the opportunity to redeem those shares at fair value, um, particularly given how easy it is to one-click redeem and, um, and kind of move these from shares to, you know, to actual uh, Bitcoins or ETH that can be custodied elsewhere, whether it's Coinbase or whether it's a Ledger wallet or, you know, wherever. Um, and, uh, and in the process, I think it would, it would kind of make whole a number of investors that are currently 40% underwater. So um, we'll see who's there. Um, I think it is, um, again, uh, I think it's a, a, a regulatory um, Loophole that uh, needs to be closed and fixed for the benefit in, of investors, uh, because otherwise you could have an indefinite situation where uh, individual investors are, are basically paying two percent for a forty percent impaired asset um, with kind of no end in sight, and and you know basically forced choices between fire selling at a discount um, or you know just paying two percent in perpetuity and hoping and praying that this comes back. But I I think. Um, We've seen no evidence to suggest that a spot ETF is on the horizon. So the right thing to do is make sure that we you know, at least give investors the ability to uh, unwind some of their positions there and, and you know, do what they see fit with the underlying assets. Great. Okay, we've got one more question here, and then I'll, I'll Ryan, I'll take, turn it over to you to see if there's anything that you want to share on a more optimistic note to close out here. But um, yeah, Coinbase Corner asks, uh, what's the easiest way for users to identify reg regulated companies versus offshore unregulated companies, which imply more assets, as we've seen? Is Coinbase considering a platform or mechanism to do or manage this, um, maybe via the Coinbase, Coinbase wallet browser? Um, okay, well, 
so I think it's important here to distinguish just between, again, centralized players in, in crypto, which Coinbase's custodian and exchange are centralized, uh, and then decentralized pieces, which Coinbase also plays in this space. You know, we have Coinbase Wallet, which is a great self-custodial offering. Again, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. And it's important for people to understand more and more of that over time. And, and that allows them to also use things like um, this Coinbase Wallet browser, which allows you to access, you know, Web3 apps and uh, dApps, basically decentralized apps. So we play in both of those spaces. And I think just broadly, you know, we want to help people get fiat money into crypto. And then once they have crypto, they should be able to use it in the purely crypto to crypto decentralized self-custodial world through Coinbase products. And that's kind of the reason why we're doing this whole thing. We want there to be more economic freedom in the world. Trading, again, you know, to Ryan's point, trading is a great business model for us um, and for others, but it's not the, it's not the end goal here. Um, unlike maybe some other players out there, we, we think trading is important to help people get fiat in crypto and to have, you know, a developed uh, trading marketplace there, a more established market structure, but it's not to be all end all. We want people to be able to do you know, earn a living, um, do commerce, uh, engage in any kind of financial transaction they want, and completely non non financial related transactions, um, things like you know voting and identity and, and gaming and all uh, decentralized social and all the apps that will come out in, in in that world too. So the question sort of asks, you know, how what's the easiest way for users to ad identify these companies and not? I mean, look, if you're going to use an exchange, I think um, you know you should do you should do that in a place where the thing has a local. If it's a centralized player, you should do it in a in a way that use a company that has a local entity that is regulated. And Coinbase is certainly one of those. We have we have entities in all the major markets, and um, we've sought out that kind of regulated, trusted approach. Again, as a public company, I think we're in a category of one there in terms of the level of scrutiny about on our financials and, and these public um, third party uh, audits that have been done. Um, but you know, when you, when it comes to using Coinbase Wallet browser or doing some of this stuff in the in the DeFi world, self custodial world, it shouldn't matter where. Um, those companies are located, um, you know, you do have to trust a little bit, I guess, the company building that software to make sure that there's not some kind of malware or um, injection into the code that you're using. But, um, you know, I, I think it's less a function of which country the thing is in at that point. And those products are going to be treated a little bit more like software products than financial service products because they're not actually taking custody of customer funds um, in those self-custodial uh, wallets. So hopefully that's a, that's a good high-level overview. Um, let's see. Ryan, we can wrap it up here, and I'd love to hear anything that you are optimistic about for this industry. It's probably a moment where everybody could use a little bit of um, optimism. So what are your thoughts? I am optimistic about everything. Nothing has changed in the 10-year thesis. The only thing that can stop this industry um, is you know, just a, a consistent uh, negative press cycle and, and, and not getting the right people kind of building solutions and, 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 and having interest fizzle out, right? And, and frankly, I think losing some of the ethos of the early industry. Right. So if we just kind of get back to basics and think about, you know, financial freedom, about, you know, kind of the innovation that can be unlocked with some of these technologies and just give people time to build um, and, and actually you know, develop products that um, are, are going to get into the hands of millions or billions of users. I think everything's going to be fine. Right. And no one said this is going to be easy. Anyone that did was lying to you. And um, that hasn't changed from five years ago, 10 years ago, last year. It, it's always been the same, but we just kind of go through different hype cycles. So. Um, I will say, I think the market, you know, has rewarded, you know, uh, pie in the sky vision and, and passion and, and kinetic energy. Um, and, and, and I'm certainly, you know, someone that benefits from, from an emphasis on, you know, and, and, and forgiveness of passion and kinetic energy. But um, I do think we're going through a cycle where, uh, Brian, you probably don't get enough credit for the, the steadiness and, and kind of conservatism and long-termism that, um, that Coinbase has demonstrated and, and that you've personally demonstrated. So we're going to need more of that, I think, across the board. Um, hunker down and, and you know, we'll, we'll kind of be through the, the worst part of the storm soon and that'll be the, the slow and steady rebuild. Totally agree. Yeah, crypto's not going anywhere. 
there's really good people in this space. Um, I mean, look at what happened to the internet, right? You know, there was a lot of hype. Things came down in 2001. The good companies built through that. Google, Amazon, you know, PayPal. And they came out much stronger on the other side. And I think Coinbase is going to be one of those companies, but we're not the only one. There's going to be a handful of them that actually not just survive, but thrive in this environment. Because in every down market, there are opportunities as well. And, um, you know, I don't think it'll take as long, by the way, as the, the whole the whole Internet thing, the dot-com crash, and then it took a while to come back. But the world is moving faster and faster because the Internet is built out now and it exists. And so we've been through these cycles that tend to happen much faster in crypto. I think we'll look back on this one in a few years as just just one more that we lived through and the next innovation cycle will be off to the races. So um, this is the time where the, the true believers hunker down and they keep building. Um, you know, the missionaries stay and, and the mercenaries leave. And so I actually like the down periods even better. There's, <laughs> it gets rid of the, the folks who are here just to make a quick buck and we get the folks we have to go back to. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Ryan, thank you so much for joining and just for being such a great advocate of the space out there. We will keep working towards regulatory clarity and uh, making crypto easier to use. Hopefully we'll have, you know, a billion or two people in the future using crypto all around the world and benefiting from this technology to create more economic freedom. So thank you, Ryan. Let's fucking go. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. 